0: I'm Gigi Johnson, and this is Amplify Music Conversations, where we captured the voices and music panels from the Amplify Music 2021 virtual conference. Over the course of the panels, you'll hear more than 100 panelists from a wide variety of cities and countries, each working in their local communities to recover from the challenges and changes of the pandemic. You'll hear about new community models, collaborations, and ways of organizing, each recovering and transforming their own music environment.
1: And welcome everyone to our panel on how artists make money in 2021, 2022, and beyond. My name is Justin Ruff. I'm VP of Operations at Live 365, and I'll be our MC today. I want to kick it around to our panelists real quick. I want everyone to introduce themselves real briefly and what you guys do. I'll go through my cubes. Uh, Dave, you want to fire away? Give you a quick introduction and what you guys do.
2: Absolutely. My name is Dave Ratner. I run a law firm called Creative Law Network. Uh, we work with creative people in businesses, everyone, music industry, musicians, promoters, labels, managers. I'm, uh, I'm actually personally a recovering manager, a recovering <laughs> tour manager, and somehow survived to get to law school. So it's great to be here. Thanks, Justin.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Wade, where'd you fire away? Tell everyone who you are and what you guys do.
3: Sure. So Wade Metzler, about 25 years in the music industry, mainly focused on performance royalties. Uh, now I do label artists and publisher relations at Sound Exchange. Sound Exchange is based out of DC, but I'm based out of Los Angeles and kind of lead our efforts out here. We're a collective management organization. Um, for the United States, we collect and distribute digital, non interactive digital performance royalties for over about 240,000 rights owners and artists. Since our inception, we've paid out about $7 billion and now represent about 15% of the US recorded um,
1: industry revenue. Thank you, Wade. Uh, Jay, why don't you introduce yourself and your business?
4: Sure. My name is Jay Gilbert. I run a company uh, with my uh, partner Jeff Mosco, uh, A company called Label Logic. We do label and artist services. So we basically are the label infrastructure for management firms and some
1: artists. Awesome. And last off, Stacey, you want to introduce yourself and what your business?
5: I'm Stacy. I'm the CEO of Ben Zuckel. I'm a guitar player, beekeeper, and a passionate but terrible karaoke singer. Um, <laughs> The Bensicle uh, ben started in 2003 as a fully remote um, group uh, dedicated to making artist tools online so that uh, fans could reach artists directly. That started out as a website builder, but today we provide e-commerce tools, mailing list pre-orders, um, and many integrations to popular music services like Bandcamp, Bands in Town, Facebook, Twitch, Crowdcast, and more. And that's just a quick summary. I could talk about it for a while, but we have a huge suite of tools for artists.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Um, so we have a great panel today, a very diverse crowd here in terms of different ends of the industry. So let's go ahead and get fired away here and we can start talking about some of my favorite topics, how artists are making money. Um, so to get us started, I want to do kind of a little exercise, a one word icebreaker here. So I'm going to pass around to everyone. Give me one or two words here. For our folks, over the next three years, what's the number one thing artists should be looking at doing for their revenue stream? Now I'll go the reverse way. Stacey, you want to kick us off? Give me one or two words.
5: Diversification.
1: Diversification. Jay, how about you? Audience engagement. Audience engagement. Wade's, how about you? Write good songs. Good songs. And last off, Dave, by the way. Collecting. Collecting. Nice. Some great ones there. Um, so I want to talk a little bit actually here. I want to branch off of that diversification one, that first one. And I'll kick over to you to start, Stacy um what sources and i'll ask everyone this question give me one quick minute and your thoughts on these but what are some sources of revenue that artists has kind of tapped into through 2020 so we saw some different times in 2020 definitely saw some new creative methods that people were using you know what ones do you think are, have happened and what ones do you think are here to
3: stay
5: Um, Definitely in the last year, I think artists are learning how to use technology to make more money and that's helping them become more self-reliant. So things like live streaming and recurring revenue from subscription tools, Um, artists are coming up with really creative ways to provide exclusive content for fans. And I think that's going to be here for a while, Um, but maybe we're going to see artists using those tools in different ways in the future. So for example, Um, Maybe bands won't exactly be live streaming shows when everything goes back to normal, but um, maybe when the pandemic is over, uh, these uh, artists have taken time to cultivate a list of fans who are interested in interacting with them and consuming their art in this new way. So in short, I would say that artists are learning how to create customer types and provide specific offerings instead of this blanket record, release, tour, and merch.
1: Awesome. Uh, Jay, I'm going to fire the same question to you. What are some things you've seen in 2020 that you think are here to stay?
4: Well, I've seen a lot of things. Uh, one of the exciting things uh, for us is experiences. Um, for example... Our artists are doing things like co-writing songs with people, and they are recording with people remotely. And you know, there are things like Patreon and OnlyFans and Cameo and thrills.co UK, where these experiences are very important, and then and they can generate quite a bit of revenue. And they're also kind of social currency. So when you have one of your favorite artists give you a shout out, or you get to collaborate with that artist, it's then placed into social media, so it can help you in that way too. Or the last couple of things i'll say really quickly is you know live streaming is the obvious one but we're seeing artists generate a lot of revenue through the tip jar in live streaming and also with uh twitch growing an audience quickly uh via twitch awesome what about you wade anything you've seen in 2020
3: yeah yeah jay touched on a couple points that i thought as well too i mean i think live streaming will be around i don't think it's going to be the same way that we've seen it over the past year but i think we're looking at live streaming at places like if with bands going to be playing at the troubadour and being able to live stream that performance and be able to sell tickets around the globe Um, you know i I think i think we're probably a little um tired of the of the in-house performances and the bedroom performances but i think taking it to the next level i think it's something that will probably stick around and a great revenue generator for them i also think that on the gaming side i think some of these performances that we've seen through um the gaming uh, platforms that have happened over the past year have been amazing revenue generators. And this is bringing artists to people and gamers and other players that just have not, have not known their music before. And it's really opening a huge door. Mm
1: -hmm. And last off, Dave, I mean, what have you seen in 2020 here that you think might be here to stay?
2: I mean, a lot of what everyone else here has said, I think we are going to, People are going to go back to touring hard, so there is going to be we're going to have a reversion. I don't think we're just going to make a full switch over, but I think a lot of these revenues will revenue streams will continue. I think it is really dependent on the artist and the genre, and so people each artist is going to kind of figure out what's going to be their best fit. I do also think that we saw or I saw artists collecting from streams that were there before, but they weren't paying as much attention to. Everyone was very used to getting a lot of revenue from touring and from live. So they weren't paying attention maybe to publishing as much and maybe not way to sound exchange as much. I don't know if your signups have gone up a lot, but I know a lot of artists have said, oh, where should I be signing up? And I would hope and expect that they'll be paying more attention to that. uh, uh, Now they know those streams are there. Awesome. Uh, I actually do want to
1: branch off of that. And thank you all. Um, So, you know, live events and you guys are all hitting that live events changed drastically over the last two years. Right. And so if you're an artist who was heavily dependent on those live events, your world was very much changed. Um, I'm going to throw this over to Jay. So if I'm an artist who's focused on those live events in the past, you know, what should be my plan? Should I plan on depending on performing and doing live performances again as a main focus? Should I shift entirely? Should I keep it on the back burner? What, What do you suggest to folks?
4: Well, I think that live performances is going to come back probably a little later than most people think. It's going to be a while before people feel safe doing that. And it's going to be this slow process. But in the meantime, we have so many different arrows in our quiver now. You know, we have, you know, to Stacey's point, we've kind of gotten better at technology. A lot of these artists, managers, labels, distribution, they they can now live stream and they can do it with good sound quality. They can collaborate. I've seen some of these great collaborations with artists where they do kind of a base swapping situation right where they have like maybe four windows and four artists will play and one will play then the other three will applaud and talk and interact and the next one will play you know and kind of go around the horn and i've seen some really creative things that i believe that as we come out of this we're going to be using those tools so maybe as we're touring We can sprinkle in some live streamings or some AMAs, you know, ask me anything, or there's so many different things that we're now comfortable doing. And I don't see those going away uh, when touring returns. And then, you know, some of these other things are going to start coming back. You know, merch was such a big loss for a lot of people when touring um, went away. But people have gotten creative with merch. I'm seeing custom-made merch. I'm seeing all sorts of things that you wouldn't have normally seen in a touring world. So I'm really excited about as we ease back into touring, we're going to have a lot more tools.
3: Awesome.
1: Uh, And great points there. I actually do want to branch off of the merch thing because a lot of people, you mentioned a lot of people do see some reduction heavily in their sales from that that they're not touring. And some obviously saw big upticks because more people were online. They were getting more online exposure. Uh, Stacy I know that's kind of your specialty I mean how do you kind of see merch playing out as a revenue stream going forward and you know what are some of the big what are some best practices some artists can do like if I'm one of those artists who did my merch sales did go down because I'm not touring anymore what's some good practices they can use to help improve that
5: well to put it all into context um, we did some data crunching because when the pandemic hit we said how can we help these artists like how can we help artists make revenue during this time so we looked at what what, was, what were the most popular items for fans to be purchasing, especially from Vansigle members. And there was just in the last year an explosion in merch sales. Um, so we focused on that. And I think anything is important as long as your fans want it. And fans will always want your merch. Like a band t-shirt is part of your identity. And no matter, that doesn't matter what your demographic is. Um, so some of the best practices, uh, I would say include brand cohesiveness. So like, do flaming skulls match your jazz trios vibe. So make sure that you're conscious of that. Also the quality of the product that you're offering. If you're selling t-shirts, for example, make sure that it's comfortable. It washes well. Are your fans going to wear these into the ground and want to replace it immediately? That's imp- Those things are important. Um, and also price point. And I think that's what a lot of artists struggle with, especially if they're not in if they don't have like a bi- lot of experience with marketing or merchandising, price point is so important. So running some experiments, like um, let your fans pay what they want for some products. Um, let your fans determine the value to them. Uh, so lastly, I would say that if you're you're going to want to think of uh, unique merch offerings to get your fans' attention. For example, we had a customer who was offering uh, custom printed album covers where their album, it was called like, Fuck art and it had a dog on the front. So you could order one of these with the dog replaced with your own pet. And those sold like hot cakes. So just be creative about it, have fun. Um and you will sell them. You'll 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 be able to run experiments and find something for everybody.
1: Uh, that's great advice. I'm curious because you guys do have a pretty diverse platform that lets, you know, you guys are letting artists do several things. You know, I mean, branching from that, which one have you seen kind of be the biggest uptick this point? Like, is it music sales? Is it the merch sales you said? Is subscription growing the most? What's been kind of like the biggest boomer over the last year?
5: Well, someone, uh, someone here touched on tips and we added a, like a tip jar feature for live streaming. And the first thing that we noticed in the first six months of the pandemic, that when artists were asking for tips over ticket sales, which you could also do, you could have virtual ticket sales, they were making about twice as much um, when they were just asking for tips. So it shows that artists are undervaluing themselves. So (laughs) really leave it up to your fans, like fans understand the importance now more than ever of buying direct and supporting local and all of that is really beneficial to artists right now. So I'd say that tips are a a big generator of income. And we also noticed an avalanche of use of uh, our printful integration. So using a print-on-demand service for merch sales, that's been huge because it just lowers the investment um, and uh, the risk to people. You don't have to buy a bunch of inventory or worry about size mixes or things like that. So those are two things that we really noticed and also a decent growth in our subscription sales. So fans are just getting creative. And even if you're only selling like $100 a month in subscriptions, that's recurring revenue. That's $1,200 a year that adds up. Um, over time. So um, yeah, I I would say that those are the biggest changes that we've noticed over the last year.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I could kind of expect that. I think kind of the community feel is a big aspect that takes place now where people want to be a part of that community and support everyone as part of that. Mm-hmm. I do want to circle back here. You had mentioned about uh, Sound Exchange and, and more and more artists now becoming aware of that and wanting to register. Um, I'm going to kick this one over to you, Wade. I mean, so with with people now more concerned about that, more artists starting to understand and get on board. You know, what about concern of things like metadata and ensuring kind of the works are properly registered with the licensing bodies? You know, what are some of the best practices that you can tell artists to kind of ensure that they are maximizing those royalty payments they can get?
3: Well, Dave was exactly correct. I mean, what we saw over the past year was a lot of managers and artists and rights owners really just cleaning house. So it's uh, it's it really is, as Stacey was saying, an avalanche of of people coming in and asking for these uh, what they can do to make sure everything's right. So what we did was um, our team set up kind of these management meetings where we would go to red light at 7s wherever and do something like this where we would walk them through our sound exchange direct um portal and a lot of new features that we have on this portal so one of them is like you know how to register your songs correctly your rights owner your artists etc how to make sure that those are all incorrectly Um, how to register as a member to make sure that you're collecting international royalties um, using our search and claim function to be able to, which is the search and claim function is everything that's not directly mapped into your account from how it is reported to us from you know over 3,000 different services um, is in here. And you're able to go in and make sure that you make the correct claim on that song to make sure that it's linked to your account. As well as look at overlaps and disputes that could be happening in your account. Um, and, you know, talking to producers to make sure that their LEDs are, their letters of direction are in, you know, filed correctly, et cetera, and make sure that they're doing it, doing it right. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I want to add to you know,
1: I mean, so tons of resources that you guys make available to everyone and definitely encourage everyone to kind of take advantage of those resources as they're working through that. So branch off of that a little bit, Dave, actually. So, I mean, how, you know, how do copyrights and trademarks come into play with everything even
2: more digital now? Well, I mean, the, the, the intellectual property is, is really the basis for how artists are making money. So what we've seen is registering that in a lot of different ways is becoming increasingly important, whether that's because you need to be on Amazon's brand registry to protect your name and prevent people from selling knockoff merch um, or doing your copyright registrations. But there's also been changes, not necessarily pandemic related, but um, the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, just went online January first. And so for any artist uh, that is that he, that's a songwriter that can be collecting mechanicals, if, especially if you're not with a publishing company, signing up with the MLC is really important. another again, another revenue stream that you can make sure you're collecting on. And so I think it's, it's kind of this, I don't mean to make a, a theme out of it here, but identifying what rights you have and then making sure to act on them and register them. It also though does require, I mean, it requires extra work, certainly, and requires extra attention to detail. So whether that is more going to be in the manager's camp or, uh, or some of the artists can handle, uh, but knowing if you're not with a publishing company, but you can get an admin, do, just have some sort of admin, even if it's just through a song trust or something like that, um, making sure that you can be out there and ensuring that the stuff that the, the rights that you've created are rights that you're actually acting on. Um, it's confusing. I think one of the hardest things that that we've dealt with for, for decades is that so much of the, the, especially publishing world, but just the rights world in general can be really, a bit of a maze. And so I did find I have found a lot of folks who had the downtime over the past year to kind of do the research and learn up on these things and that's a great thing that'll serve people for a long long time understanding the writer share versus publisher share. Understanding that as Captain BMI are not your pub. they're not collecting everything, they're just collecting performing rights. And you still need to go for collecting for mechanicals. So really having that education, understanding where your rights are and where the money is coming from is something that everyone can can benefit from for the long term.
3: Sorry, on that point, you know, I've seen in the past couple of years, a lot of the distributors that are out there are doing a great job at providing. Um, admin services for whether it be performance royalties, um, marketing, um, publishing services, sync services, et cetera. So as as an artist that is just getting going and choosing a a good distributor really kind of helps a good team member as well.
2: I completely agree. I've also seen some bad ones. <laughs> so doing your research because I said, Oh, I clicked, you know, I clicked the box to, to add publishing. And it's like, and have you seen a check? Like make sure that you know who you're dealing with, talk to your friends and see who they're dealing with. If your friends say, Oh, I, this great service, they send me all this money. These are people to work with. Nice. Curious. I uh, actually
1: to branch off of that. What are some red flags that folks might look forward when they're looking at services like that? Say they don't have a friend that they can ask, so they're looking at that, and they're trying to assess services. with some quick red flags you'd offer some folks?
2: I mean, I think it's tough because you have to read those terms and conditions. The stuff we all just click to agree, you actually have to read it. And it's legalese, and it's mind-numbing, but you have to read it to understand it because you don't want to give up those rights. And the tough thing is, you you don't have a lot of these click-to-agrees there's no negotiating. It's a yes or a no. So read through it and say, if this says it's perpetual and you can never get out of it, or it's a 10-year term versus, oh, I can terminate on 30 days notice. Read through the details, make sure you understand them. And that's for any contract you ever sign, but especially for these type of things. Awesome.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense and great advice there um okay so i want to open it up actually a few kind of fringe questions and a little off the wall ones talk about some advanced stuff that's happening right now uh, i want to talk a little bit about something that kind of took over the crazes last year and that's TikTok and how it's kind of affected the artist industry that's happening right now you know in 2020 we saw TikTok kind of explode and really kind of solidify itself as influential in the music industry yeah i'm curious and i'll open the floor up for anybody or what you know how have you seen this impact artist revenue
3: opportunities well, I know on my side, it's uh, I've seen the influence it's had on my 14-year-old daughter and vinyl sales. So things that she's finding on there and then wanting to go out and actually buy the actual vinyl, uh, the songs that she's hearing on there. So, I mean, she's turned me on to some like post-punk stuff from Russia. You know, so it's like uh, some of the discovery that has gone through that um, has been has been fantastic on that side.
5: I think that when we think about um, social media, we have to be really careful to um, think about how social media is done in the past. So TikTok is really hot right now, and it might be really hot for the next five or 10 years, but it's not going to be forever. And I might not be the best person to answer the question, but um, it does make sense to re-monetize your old content and spend time where your fans are and Give your fans a taste of what you have to offer, where they're spending time, and drive them back to your website where you can collect their email and foster a better relationship. So that's all I would have to say about TikTok.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. And also just add that it's one of the easiest platforms to gain an audience quickly. So we encourage artists to go to where the party is whether that's Twitch, whether it's TikTok, whatever it is, you need to go where the people are. And to Stacy's point, that may be for the next two years, could be for the next 20 years. We don't know, but we do know that this is all evolving and changing. So you need to stay up on what these platforms are and make sure that you're participating. And staying
2: up on what the rules for that platform are and how you make, you know, how you collect and how you register and all those things.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll you're branch off the reason from the attorney on the, on the panel, right?
1: <laughs>
3: we, we have to have somebody do the <laughs> reason <here.
1: laughs> You know, I mean, you branch off that TikTok thing there. I mean, do we see, you know, has this kind of unlocked and untapped revenue potential in, in the catalog, for instance, you know, like song revivals on TikTok? Is there licensing opportunities with those old
4: catalogs? Does anybody have any opinions on those? Well, we've seen it. Yeah right I mean we've seen some really prime examples of that you know the fleetwood mac probably one of the biggest ones but i i i'd like to kind of just move this to all of these new developing platforms because I think there's opportunity in them all. One of the common misconceptions is that, you know, with uh, TikTok that it's only for young people. Well, there are a lot of young people on there, but there are also adults on there and there are some really great creators on there that are monetizing the platform. So again, uh, just to come back to go to where the party is. Awesome.
1: Okay, so I know I am running shorter on time here, so I do want to do a rapid-fire segment. I kind of call it looking into the future here. I have five different questions here. I'm going to fire it around the horn here. Everyone give me a simple yes or no question, and we can power through these. Um, so I'll start off with Dave, and we'll go around the horn here. So I have artist-direct dis- artist subscriptions and crowdfunding. Will this trend continue? Yeah, let's start us off, Dave. Yes. Uh, Wade? Yes. yes. Jay? Absolutely, and Stacy. Yeah, awesome. Um, number two, will live events ever return to levels we saw before COVID nineteen? I'll do the reverse. Start us off, Stacy.
5: In a while.
1: In a while. Go ahead, Jay. Later. Wade. Eventually. Uh, Dave. They will. <laughs> I, I. I'm super curious here. When does everyone think that timing? Do we think it's a year?
4: Is it two years? <sighs> Well, when you say it's back recorded normal, you're, you're talking about pre-COVID. I'm thinking two to three years mm-hmm. to that point.
1: That's three. All right, cool. Let me pass through these last ones. I mean, so will Talk be a larger source for revenue for artists? Get it right, away, Dave.
2: Larger than it is now?
1: hmm Yep. Yeah. Wade? Yeah, I think so as well. Jay? Maybe. Stacy?
5: For a while.
1: <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to get to a, a quick popular one. So, will blockchain and NFT technologies be a part of an artist revenue stream going forward? Uh, Dave, pick us off. Uh,
3: it's for some. Uh,
4: Wade, yeah, I have the same hesitation. I'm a definite maybe on that. Yeah, <laughs> Jay, the technology will be around. I think the NFT bubble is going to burst. Mm-hmm. Stacy.
5: I just want to frown at this question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so noted. <laughs> All right. So my last one, finish this off. Will gaming, things like licensing works, in-game purchases, are those going to be a bigger, a larger part of an artist's revenue stream? And Stacey, go start us off.
5: It's more than one word. But I think for some artists, it's going to be a huge part of their revenue stream. Some.
4: Jay? Agreed. For some, it'll be huge. Wade? Again, absolutely. But I think it it is a small portion.
1: Yeah, it's a a niche. Yeah, Yeah. Awesome. That concludes our rapid fire section. I think I've been in in just enough time.
0: Well, thanks for listening to Amplify Music Conversations. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and come back to listen to our other podcast episodes, either following us in your favorite podcast player or at amplifymusic.org or even on YouTube and you can find a way to sign up for our email list and join our various groups on Facebook and on LinkedIn. We'd like to thank the Institute of International Business at the University of Colorado Denver, who sponsors this podcast series, as well as the conference sponsors, Mia, UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music, the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, Ben Zugel, Tully and Lyric Find. We've had great support putting this conference together this year, and we look forward to continuing these conversations with you through this podcast. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.